How you guys doing this morning? How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, it is on. I just wanted to make sure, make sure we're good. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're so good, you're so amazing, and your love for us is just fantastic. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus, the most powerful message in the universe. Thank you, Father, for that, for salvation, for relationship with you, for forgiveness. Lord, we open our hearts to you, and we dump out the distractions. We dump out any hindrances that would keep us from hearing what you want to say to us today. We give our affection and our attention to you this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would motivate us by your word, convict us by your word. We want to walk closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and put up John 3.16 if you have that. But there's one verse in Romans 1.16 that Paul said. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Amen? And here's a verse, here's a passage that we're very familiar with. John three sixteen through 18, and then verse 36. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave... His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, talking about Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe in him, excuse me, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That last passage again. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Believing in Jesus... God loved us so much that he gave his son so that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. John 17, 3 says, this is what eternal life is, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So eternal life isn't, doesn't start when we die and we live for eternity. Eternal life starts the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Something that's very important here says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. When we talk about salvation, when you hear the term getting saved, what are we getting saved from? Are we, getting, are we being saved from getting hit by a truck? 
That'd be nice. What are we getting saved from? We use that term so often. We've heard it so much. You know, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Are you saved? I don't know if I'm saved. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the wrath of God. Plain and simple. We're being saved from the wrath of God. It says right here, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God is eternal separation from the Father forever. The Bible talks about hell. You know, hell is actually a temporary holding place. Do you realize that? You know, people think that without Jesus you're going to go to hell. And actually, hell would be nice compared to the lake of fire. Because the Bible says that in the end, hell is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So people without Jesus, people who have not committed their lives to Jesus, are going to be eternally separated from him and live in the lake of fire for all eternity. And I guarantee you it's not going to be good. You know, that's a message that we, we shy away from, that we don't hear a lot. You know, when you, you know it's criticized, or oh, are they preaching you know, hellfire and brimstone or that kind of thing. And that's kind of a negative connotation. Oh, are they preaching all that? And hellfire and brimstone is not a fun and pleasant thing, but it is a reality. It's a reality that we need to be made aware of and realize that, dang, I'm saved from hellfire and brimstone. I'm saved from an eternity of separation from Jesus, from the Father. If I believe in Jesus, if my faith is in him, Another thing I want to point out to you here in this verse, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In some translations it says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, he who does not believe will not see life. The word obey and believe is interchangeable. So what it's talking about there is see, a lot of times we think that believing in means agreeing with Agreeing with. Those who agree with Jesus or agree with the fact that Jesus is God's son, if you agree with that, you're saved. That's not what it means. Those who believe in the son and who obey the son. So it's not talking about just a mental ascent, but it's talking about a total surrender to him with a lifestyle of obedience. Are you with me so far? What I want to talk about today and I'm going to be talking about for the next three weeks is the simple gospel. The simple gospel. Because the gospel message is very simple. It's not easy. It's not necessarily fun. or it's, I mean, it, it's very offensive. But it is very simple. But a lot of times we make it very complicated. But it's simple. You know, Jesus said that he who wants to enter the kingdom must become like a little child. Right? Therefore, for a little child to enter the kingdom, he must understand what the kingdom's about. So for a child to understand the kingdom, that means it has to be simple. But sometimes in, in America, this, this land of beautiful land, of all this information, we get the gospel all clouded up with a lot of information. And so I want to talk about these next three weeks, the simple gospel. And today the subtitle is, Who's Following Who? Okay, who's following who? That's the question. That's the big question that hopefully we're going to have answered today. So the gospel is very simple. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. 
It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. How many of you have heard of that before? If you openly proclaim Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, a lot of us, many of us, or maybe all of us, when we are leading someone to the Lord, we're giving them the opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. Many of us may share this passage right here. If you believe in your heart, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes, I do. Do you confess Jesus as your Lord? Yes, I do. Then you're saved. And then we show them what it says after that. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And we have a lot of people basing their salvation on that, which is good or bad. The word Lord there, when it says confessing, openly declaring that Jesus is Lord, do you know what Lord means in the Hebrew, Greek, and all the other languages that are in the Bible? Lord means he who is a person or thing, excuse me, he who to whom a person belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master or Lord. Or the owner, the one that has control of the person, master. See, a lot of times I believe when we're talking about, do you confess Jesus as your Lord? See, a lot of times people are making mental assent, agreement with, yeah, Jesus is the boss or he's, yeah, he's the son of God. But right here, what it's talking about is, are you confessing Jesus as your Lord, your master, your king? That's what the question is. Are you confess, are you openly confessing him as your master? And do you know what that means when you're saying, you are my master? Do you know what that means? I mean, it's simple, right? That means he's the boss. He calls the shots. When I say, Jesus, you are my master, I'm putting my whole allegiance, my faith, my life in your hands. You call the shots. Does that make sense? Do you see me twisting anything yet? Not yet, but (laughs) do you see me twisting? But here's what happens a lot of times. Again, in America, we, we think that believe means agree with. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about just, now obviously you agree with, but there is a difference between agreeing with and putting your faith in. He who believes in the Son shall have life. He who disobeys shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which means he is alive. Do you believe he is alive? Do you believe that that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes, I believe that. And are you confessing him as your master? Anybody ever heard of uh, fire insurance? Concerning the gospel. Well, at least I got my fire insurance. You know, I prayed the prayer, so I'm good. We hear that a lot in the United States. I can't find the fire insurance passage in the Bible. Can someone kind of show me where that's at? I'm not seeing it. And I think where we get that concept from is, you know what? I pray a prayer. Right there it says, if I believe in my heart, I believe. I confess with my mouth. I confess. I'm good. I'm saved. 
Got my fire insurance, which typically means, okay, when I die, I'm not going to hell. But while I'm alive, I get to do my own thing because I'm still calling the shots. How many of you ever heard of that before? Fire insurance. At least I got my fire insurance. That's not biblical. It's not scriptural. And many people are basing their eternity on that concept. Here's a passage right here that um, there's two of them I'm about to read that put the fear of God in me. One of them, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. I'm reading out of the ESV. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if whether you are in the faith or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you find out that we have not failed the test. Listen to what those those verses are saying. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. We need to examine ourselves. And that's what we're talking about today, examining ourselves. And here's why. The next passage, Matthew 7, verse 22, excuse me, 21 through 23. This is Jesus talking. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now stop there for a second. Remember back in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as, then you will be saved, right? Didn't we just read that? If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. Remember that? And then right here it says, Not everyone who says to me, even twice, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So hold on a second. If you confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it goes on to say, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say, everyone say many. Now you notice it doesn't say few. You realize that? It doesn't say few. It says many. Now I don't know how big many is, but it sounds like a lot. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. How many believe that prophecy, miracles, and and casting out demons is a good thing? Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't his disciples do that? So it's not about these miracles. But listen, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then he's going to say, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here's the scary part right here. Many people on that day are going to think, now on that day is the day of judgment. Okay? Day of judgment. People are standing before Jesus. The clock has expired. There's no more redos. There's no more reset button. There's no more, oh, hold on a second. Let me go back and fix this, Jesus. That time is over. On that day, many people are going to stand before Jesus and say, hey, I did some good stuff. 
I did this and this and this and this and this. And they're thinking that they're going to get a high five. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And they're going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practiced lawlessness. In other words, you who did your own thing. You who lived your own lifestyle. But I prophesied. I cast out demons. And I perform miracles. And he says, you are a worker of iniquity or of lawlessness. You lived your own lifestyle. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. Those who believe in the Son shall have eternal life. Those who do not obey, are you getting this? Are Are you with me so far? The gospel message is very simple. It's, I believe that Jesus is alive and I'm surrendering and I'm surrendering my life to him. He's my Lord. He's my King. Period. End of story. That's the simple gospel right there. That's the gate. Actually, there's another passage. Let's see if I wrote it down. I heard that. Let me turn to it real quick. It's in Matthew chapter 7. And it is verse 13. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find that. So broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. See, it's so easy to think that, hey, I can pray this prayer, I can have this belief system, get my fire insurance, and then I can go do my own thing. And then when I die and face God, I'm going to be good. And there are many people, I'm going to say in America, and we're going to talk about that in a second. I call it the Americanized gospel. Many people in America think that's okay. And my concern and my fear, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is, I don't want anybody that I know to be standing in that line, and they stand before Jesus, and they think they're good. And then Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And then somehow they look over at me, which I don't think that's going to, it works out that way. But let's just pretend. They look over at me and they're like, wait a minute, what? I thought I was good. I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Sorry I didn't cover that. That's not going to go down too well, is it? So we're having that discussion today. Because how it's going to play out is you're going to be standing before the Father. And somehow I'm going to be standing somewhere where we see each other. You're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then you and I are going to look at each other and give each other a thumbs up. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. 
Now, silly as that sounds, let's let this let's let that be our reality. Amen. So there are many people who are going to be deceived because they're going to stand on that day and think that they're good and they're going to get the answer that they're not expecting. But what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like, according to him, when a person says, Jesus, you're my Lord, what does that look like? And let's see what he has to say. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, in the New Living Translation, it says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would, be, who would, begin, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So... He says all that to say, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Giving up everything. You cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything. Take up your cross. Do we know what take up your cross means? When Jesus took up his cross, what was he doing? Going to a party? No. He's going to die, right? So that, that symbol of take up your cross and follow me means it's time to die. It's time to die to your life, your way of life, following you, and it's time to follow me. Remember what Jesus said to um, Peter and James and John and Andrew, I believe it was, when he saw them fishing, they were with their dad. He said, you, follow me. It says they dropped their nets and they left their dad and they followed Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, you got a minute? You busy? He said, follow me. And then Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He also says, in comparison, in comparison to me, you must hate your father, mother, brother, sister, children, in other words, if your allegiance to your family is more than Jesus, then he says, don't even bother. I want to illustrate that for a second. Daniel, would you come up for a second, please? You're not going to have to say anything. You just need to sit up here and look handsome. Chris, come on up here for a second. Yeah, just you guys have a seat. Now, these two guys are, they happen to be in Iran and are sitting at Starbucks in Iran. This is what it looks like at Starbucks in Iran. <laughs> and I don't know if they have Starbucks in Iran, but for today they do. So anyway, these two guys are sitting here. They're both from Iran. And Daniel is a Christian. 
Now, both of these gentlemen come from many, many generations of Muslims. So their families are all Muslim. And then a missionary somehow gets a hold of Daniel and the gospel has penetrated his heart and he's committed his life to Jesus. Okay? So he's a Christian, still living in Iran. And he's talking to his friend right here who's still a Muslim. You know, his family's all Muslim and everything. So Daniel talks to Chris, shares the gospel with him, and says, he explains who Jesus is, and, and, and Chris understands, and he says, are you ready to give your life to Jesus, to surrender to Jesus? And all of a sudden, Chris doesn't just say, oh, yeah, just show me the prayer. But all of a sudden, he's going to start counting the cost. He's going to have a conversation with himself in his head and think, okay, Saying yes to Jesus means either I'm excommunicated or I'm killed by my family. I mean, that's a reality. I don't know if that's in every situation, but that's a very real reality. Are you with me so far? So he's thinking, yes to Jesus means no to my family. And then he turns to Daniel and says, yes, I am. Now, see, in that moment, Chris counted the cost because it doesn't take hours or days necessarily to count the cost. You just search out your heart and say, am I ready to do this? Am I ready to lay down my life? When I did it many years ago, it was, a, it was three seconds. Three seconds. I was asked a question, and I thought, and the question was, are you ready to give your life to Jesus 100%? Three seconds, and I said, yes, I am. So Chris does that, takes a few moments, and he says, yes, I am. Him knowing that this may mean that, okay, I have Jesus, I'm following him, I may see Jesus tonight in heaven. I may be out on the streets. Because he knows it can't be Jesus and Muhammad. He knows it can't be Christianity and Islam in the same house. He knows that. So him saying yes to Jesus, he's saying no to his family. Not that he quits loving his family, but his number one allegiance shifts from his family and Allah and Muhammad to Jesus Christ. Are you understanding? So then he leads him, and it's not necessarily a prayer, although we use a prayer, it's a tool just to help people make that confession and do that. That's how I got saved. I, was, I repeated a prayer. Boom. Born again. Okay, let's, same guys different situation. They're at Starbucks on Main Street, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Okay. Daniel becomes a Christian and he's trying to tell Chris, or he's telling Chris about Jesus. And he says, Chris, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Now the challenge here in America is him saying yes to Jesus may not cost him anything. But let me ask you this question. Does Jesus require the same from the Muslim brother as he does the American brother? Does he say, okay, you guys in, in, in these Middle Eastern countries, in these communist countries, for you to get saved is going to cost you your life. But you guys in the US of A, you guys got it made in the shade, bro. All I have to do is just agree. Just nod your head, say a little prayer, and you're good to go. Do you think that's how the kingdom works? But many of us are operating that way, in that reality. Does that make sense? 
Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Appreciate it. And to me, that's one of the challenges that we have here in the United States. It's like we don't need to find a bunch of hoops to jump through. That's not what I'm talking about. But we just need to make sure, is Jesus my Lord? Is he the one calling the shots? Is he the one that I filter all my decisions through? When I'm thinking, hey, can I take this job? Can I go on that trip? Daddy? Yes, no. Yes, awesome. And I do it. He says no. Then I say no. You know, when Jesus said, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And some people can think that means that you have to give everything away or sell everything. That's not necessarily the case. The reason why I can say that is because we have two rich men that encountered Jesus or Jesus encountered. We have the rich young ruler. Remember him? And he said, hey, Jesus, what, what must I do to be saved? And he says, you know what the law says, you know, honor your parents and all that. He says, I've done them all. So I'm good? Am I good? Maybe he was wanting his fire insurance. I don't know. But he said, hey, I did all these things, so I'm good, right? And Jesus says, one more thing. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. In other words, Jesus was putting his finger on this man's master. He says, son, for you to follow me, for me to be your Lord, you have to get rid of this one. Because both of us can't coexist. That's not how lordship works. He says, you must give up that one. And the guy wouldn't. He, he went away sad, uh, sorrowful because he had a lot of money, it says. Now, there's another man that Jesus encountered that was very wealthy. His name was Zacchaeus. Did Jesus say, Zacchaeus, sell everything you own, give it away to the poor, and come follow me? Did he say that to Zacchaeus? He didn't. He said, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. And Zacchaeus repented, and we see what he did. He said, anyone I cheated, I'm going to give him back four times. I'm going to do all this and this and this. There was an indication right there that Jesus became his master. That money was not, no longer his master because Jesus, all of a sudden, he said, all the things I've done wrong, I'm going to fix them. And Jesus never required, he didn't say, that's good, but also give all of it away. He didn't say that. So it's not about money or no money. It's about who is my boss? Who is my master? Who is my Lord? Who am I serving? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he who died, and, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. So those of us who belong to Jesus, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for, we're living for him. We're living for him. The challenge of the gospel in the United States, like I demonstrated before, a Muslim, in a Muslim country, there's a, there's a obvious visible cost. Whereas in America, we may not have that. Now, there can be situations where people in America come from, whether American Muslim families or atheistic families or whatever families that say, hey, if you ever follow that Jesus dude, you're out of here. So there are people that have 
real choices to make. But for a lot of people who don't have that visible threat or danger, I didn't have that. Me thinking about giving my life to Jesus had nothing to do with me worrying if my parents were going to kill me. That wasn't my issue. Or worrying about if somebody was going to, on the streets, come and kill me because I'm a Christian. It was, am I ready to bow my knee to this man and follow him for the rest of my life? That was the question. And that's the question today. But here in America, we have a few challenges. Many of us are following the American dream, and we think we're dragging Jesus along with us. See, in America, in this wonderful, beautiful country, and please do not misunderstand my patriotism. I believe this is the best country on the planet. I've been to many of them. This is still my favorite one. We are so blessed in this place. We are so blessed. We have freedoms. We have things that we can We just have all these freedoms, things that we can pursue. And people come, they're flocking into this country to go after those freedoms. The American dream. And the American dream is not the issue unless it's an issue. And what many people are doing in America is we assume that the American dream is God's will for my life. Of course God wants me to have a wonderful job with benefits and vacations and stuff. Of course God would want my kids to go to college and get a wonderful education so they can have a good job and have benefits and stuff. That may or may not be the case. And we can't make a blanket statement and say, nobody can go after the American dream or everybody can go after the American dream. Everybody needs to go after Jesus. And then, Jesus, what do you want me to do? For example, here's a practical way When your children are graduating from high school, they're approaching that. Is your assumption, well, of course you're going to college. Of course you're going to college because you're going to get a good education so you can get a good job. Of course. I mean, that's not even a discussion. Or is it, we're going to seek the Father together and see what he wants you to do. It may be college. It may be going overseas. It may be doing, getting a job. It may be different choices. Is our default, well, this is what we're supposed to do, especially living here in Stillwater next to the greatest university on the planet? Do not strike that from the record. But we assume that this is what God wants for me. And so then we teach our children, yes, of course you're going to do this. I've heard of stories that... that hurt my heart of young people who are on fire and just, Jesus, it's all about you. And they feel a burning passion to go to the mission field. And their parents say, there is no way you're going to India. Young lady wanted to go to India. She felt called, oh, God wants me to go to India. There's no way. You're going to go to college, finish your college, and you're going to get a good job. Now, if that father, and maybe he did because I don't know, if he said, daughter, I prayed, I believe the father wants you to take this route. Finish your college. Get a job or whatever. And then see if he still wants you to do that. See, that's okay. But when it's the assumption that no way, 
I'm concerned about your safety. I'm concerned about you not having a good job. I'm concerned about you not being able to take yourself. I'm concerned, I'm concerned, I'm concerned about these things versus, Lord, what is it you want? What is it you want? So are we following Jesus or is he following us or we think he's following us as we pursue the American dream? We live in a wonderful democracy. I believe on this planet, democracy is probably the, is the best form of government. Because it seems like when people become kings or dictators, they kind of go a little interesting. And they, you know, corrupt, you know, become corrupt and all that kind of stuff. And so democracy has some balances and everything where you have people not being able to have all the power, all that kind of stuff. We live in a country with a democracy where we get to choose who becomes president or who becomes mayor or who becomes all these different positions. We choose. We the people choose, right? We were brought up in this. We were born in this. This is a good thing. Then we come to Jesus and Jesus says, let's go. And then we say, hold on a second. We need to vote, don't we? Don't I have some say-so in this, Jesus? His word says, thou shalt forgive. I don't necessarily agree with that. And so what happens is, is we bring our Americanism into the gospel, into the kingdom, and we think it's okay. We think we have options when it comes to obeying God's word or not. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay for me to live with my girlfriend and still be a Christian. It's okay. I mean, because God does want me to be happy. He understands that we love each other. These are the kind of things I hear. And see, everything's all about me, all about my happiness. Nowhere did Jesus say, follow me and I will make you happy. Matter of fact, he says, take up your cross because it's time to die. And in America, we're all about happiness when Jesus promises us great joy. And there's a big difference. So we live in a, in a democracy. And the last one, I have my rights as an American citizen. I have my rights. I'm independent. I can do whatever I want to. I have my rights. The Second Amendment says this. The First Amendment says I have my rights. Freedom of speech. I can say what I want to say. If you don't believe me, just look at my Facebook. I can say whatever I want to say. And see, we carry our Americanism into the kingdom, and we think we can do whatever we want to. I can say whatever I want to. Whenever someone makes a post, I can say what I want to because it's America. Freedom of speech. And before we tweet that or we push whatever, we're not checking in with him and saying, Jesus, is this okay? And he says, nope. Matter of fact, to some of us, he might say, son, daughter, go ahead and delete that account. So who's following who? Jesus said to those men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, follow me and I'm going to change you into something that I want to change you into. These guys didn't even check in with their dad who was sitting right there. Dad, we good? Is this okay? Jesus says you must love me more than mother, father, son, daughter. Let's all stand together.
Now, this sermon was not intended to put fear in you unless it's the fear of the Lord. This is not to try to stir you up emotionally so you make an emotional response. The intent is to wake you up to the truth and the reality of the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you living an Americanized version or are you living a biblical version? And only you and him know that. You know, I can look at you and we can look at each other and say, yep, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved. And at the same time, the Lord can say, my son, my son, my son. So it's not up to us to look on people and see what they're doing and not doing and determine whether they're born again or not, whether they're a follower of Jesus. They might be making some bad choices, some horrific decisions. We're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about, I'm born again now. Jesus is my Lord, so I'm good, I'm perfect. No more sin, no more mess-ups. We all know that's not the case. But it's what direction are you going in? Are you actually following Jesus? Or is he just somewhere in the room? And we're going to talk about what that looks like next week. What that looks like to actually be following him. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do right now. If you'd close your eyes. The Bible says to examine yourself. To see if you pass the test. Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? And a simple way to determine that is who's following who. Have you just been kind of born into Christianity as, if, as far as your family? Or has there been a point in your life when you bowed the knee and said, Jesus, I'm yours. Where you committed your life to him. You might be thinking, I'm not really sure. Well, because the gospel is so simple, we can fix that right now. So here's what I'm inviting you to do in your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe he raised you from the dead. You are my Lord from this day forward. You are my King my master, my boss from this day forward. And you know in your heart if if you're just lipping the words or if you're, you're repositioning yourself and following him. Father, I thank you for grace that you're releasing right now on the people that you love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your conviction. And thank you for those who are saying yes. And thank you for honesty. No more playing games. We're being honest. We give you honor and praise, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if that was your first time saying, you know what? Yes, Jesus, I'm yours. And that was your first time doing that. I would invite you to come and talk to me afterwards. Okay? And to the rest of you guys, have an amazing week. Follow Jesus this week. It's going to be amazing. Not necessarily easy. We're going to talk about that more next week. 
following him is the best option. And not just concerning heaven or hell, but your life on this planet, the adventure. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the adventure of walking with the king. So you guys have a wonderful week. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.